I'm going to remind you of this morning is something the devil doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to remember. He, he wants you to get caught up in what the world's picture is. And so this morning, uh, I'm just going to start a series, and, and it's going to be about four weeks, and we're just calling it In Search of the Real Jesus. In other words, we're going to find out who Jesus is, who the Bible says He is. This is not going to be complex. This is not going to be rocket science. This is going to be basic Christianity one-on-one. And today, what I'm going to share with you, probably everybody in this room knows, but we need to remind ourselves of it over and over and over and over again because it really does make a difference. We live in a time now in history when it's essential for us, for you and me, to know and to stand for what we believe as in as Christians. Amen? It's time that we stood up. It doesn't mean that we, we're out here marching with signs. It's just it's time for us to live and to share what we truly believe, what the Bible teaches. Maybe not what we believe, but what the Bible teaches. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so the forces where the culture drives what we believe. Y'all realize that? Got a dog barking, don't worry, he don't bother me because I've got one just like him at home, okay? So it, it's, it's all right. It's okay. It's, it's going to be that way every once in a while. We're next door to the veterinarian. Amen. <laughs> but culture, the forces of culture drive the beliefs of the nation that we live in. Amen? And those, those forces are more that more often than not, not the big groups. It's the little special interest groups. It's the social groups. And in our country right now, it's the sexual, uh, I don't know the exact word I want to use, but uh, it's the sexual groups. It's the gays and the lesbians and the transsexuals. and It's, it's the, the Muslims and the Republicans and the Democrats and, and any other group we agree or disagree with. They all are joining forces in a sense, although they may be on opposite sides of the border. They join forces to drive what we think, how we see things, advertising. Uh, They use advertising, they use all kinds of things, media print, all that kind of stuff, to kind of give us a mindset. And what happens is, it has driven our culture and our nation to the literally the brink of disaster. Amen? We, we, we're, we're teeter-tottering on the edge right now. We can go either way. But you know what? It's not the fault of the gays and the lesbians and the Muslims and the Republicans and the Democrats. It's not their fault. It's our fault. Because we have the Word of God. We already have the truth that every one of those groups is so desperately seeking. So ultimately, we can't point our finger at this group or that group and say, you know, it's their fault. We have to point our finger at us and say, no, church, it's our fault. And it's time for us to take responsibility. We've lost our way because we have willingly given up our understanding and our belief of who the real Jesus is. Okay? That, that, that's the problem, ultimately, when you boil it down in our nation. The Jesus of the Scriptures. Not the Jesus, the counterfeit one that makes everybody happy and that winks at their sin. The system that, that this world is driven by is controlled by Satan. You, you do realize that, amen? You do realize and understand that, that the world system is driven by the devil. And his desire is to take things like multiculturalism and relativism and a thousand other isms and schisms and wasms 
and, and teachings. And he, his desire is not to make one the primary, but to kind of blend them all together so that everybody looks just alike. That we all believe basically the same thing, except that the thing that we believe is wrong. It looks good. It smells good sometimes, but that dog won't hunt. That, that duck won't quack. It's just it's not what it, it's, it's, it's made to be. It's not, it, it's, it's not true. And what happens is he wants us to deny the truth and he wants us to push for a belief system where anything goes. I mean, that's pretty much where we're at as a nation. Anything goes. Everybody can do their own thing. Where literally belief is dumbed down. In other words, what the Scripture calls us to, the standard that Scripture calls us to, you know, that's too high. Not everybody can do that. Let's just kind of lower it a little bit. Well, let's listen to me. Every person in this world can do what this book calls us to because Jesus Christ is the one that empowers us to do it. We don't do it on our own anyway. It's the Holy Spirit living in us that, that, that can push us to the place where we can live out what the Scriptures call for. But the world, that's not, what the, that's not what it wants. It wants to dumb it down where anything goes, where nothing is, is absolute. And you know what? If, if you want to call your higher power Jesus, that's okay. Just as long as you're Jesus, doesn't infringe on the Jesus, I believe in. Now, you know, you know what that creates, don't you? A bunch of little Jesuses. And what's happened is we have a bunch of little Jesuses in this world and none of them are the real Jesus. And sadly, many of us in the church can't tell the difference. And the reason is just because we've forgotten what Scripture says about the real Jesus. And so over the next few weeks, we're just going to search out who Jesus is. Today we're going to look at Him as God. Okay, I think that's the, the basic point. If we understand He's God... It's pretty easy to see the rest of the garbage. Okay? Amen. Now we get all excited. I mean, you know, we get all excited when we see pictures of Jesus. Uh, we, 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 in this nation, we kind of fashion a Jesus who looks like us. Amen? It's amazing. You go to different parts of the world, you'll see different pictures of Jesus. If you go to Africa, i got news for you. Jesus is not white. He doesn't have that ready tan brown hair that flows down here. He, he, he doesn't look that way. Every culture fashions their own idea of what Jesus looks like. Now, the problem with that is is that the average picture of Jesus makes him, in our country, look effeminate, quiet, and weak. Amen? Amen. I mean, I grew up with the picture of Jesus on the wall. and got, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to be irreligious. I'm trying to be, because I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not to the place where I'm going to offend you yet. But uh, this morning, okay. But at, at worst, he looked effeminate and weak. He didn't look like the picture Scripture finds. And at best, he looked like a hippie that just got back from Woodstock. Okay, and I know what some of you thought. Well, Nelson, you're one to talk. <laughs> so be okay. But we've we've formed a picture of Jesus, what He looked like in our minds, but we've also formed a picture of how Jesus acts, not from the Word of God, 
but from culture and what He does. We get all excited when we hear a celebrity mention Jesus' name in an acceptance speech or, or after they, they, they score that winning touchdown or hit that game-winning series-ending home run or, or even uh, when uh, a politician does well in a debate or a campaign speech. We, we get all excited. The problem is, is that with a lot of the entertainers is, is they had to bleep out a stream of explicatives and they're half naked when they give credit to Jesus. Or the athlete who, who gives credit to Jesus lives like a pig all week long and he's in the paper all the time. Or the politician uses Jesus' name in name only and has no clue or could care less who He is. You see, we get all excited about that, Jesus. Folks, just because a person uses Jesus' name does not mean that they know Jesus. And we have to become a little more discerning and, might I say, critical, not in the sense that I criticize, but I look at things with a critical eye and, and I go past the puff and the smoke and the mirrors and look at the reality. Now, sadly, most of us have accepted one of these variations of Jesus. A Jesus who's weak and mild. Now, Jesus is meek. Okay, The Bible says that Jesus was meek. But meek means power under control. It doesn't mean weak. Uh, the, the word literally was used for a horse with a bridle in its mouth, a war horse. So Jesus is meek, but he's not weak. But, but the picture that we have of Jesus uh, that's painted by our culture is, is, is that he's weak and he's mild. He's always loving. Always loving. And, and he is. But not in the sense that he winks at our sin. That, that he's not demanding that He's never judgmental, that He's always accepting, accommodating, and blessing to whatever type of lifestyle a person wants to live. Folks, that's not the biblical Jesus. Now, He's not a tyrant, but He's not wishy-washy. He doesn't ride the wave today on this belief and, and take another one and go that way another day. He, he's, he's not wishy-washy when it comes to absolutes. He, he's never at odds with what He has taught in Scripture. And folks, many of the Jesuses that we hear and see today are at odds completely with this book right here. We've reached a place that Paul warned Timothy about in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1-5. through I'm just going to share this passage of Scripture. I'm not going to get into it. but I just You think about this. Is, is this not the world we live in? Paul wrote to Timothy and he said this. He said, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men and women will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Are we there yet? Been there for a while. Then he says this, holding a form of godliness, although they've denied the power, its power thereof. That's the way I learned it in the King James. They've denied its power thereof. And then he says this, and avoid such men as these. 
Why? Because we've lost the picture of Jesus. We've lost the real Jesus. And we've accepted one who is less than, less than the real thing. A form of godliness. So it's not just enough to talk Jesus. If you're not talking the biblical Jesus. It's not enough just to talk. It's, it's time that we begin to walk. What do we do then? How do we change these things? Well, I believe that we can change it. But I believe we have to jettison the false Jesus. And we have to return to the picture that the Bible so beautifully and accurately portrays. Truth has a way of setting us free. In fact, that's what Scripture says. You shall know the truth and it shall set you free. The real Jesus is not as popular as all the Jesus running around, okay? Folks, he's a lot more powerful. Amen. And he has the only answer that our nation needs. And if we'll listen to his answers and we'll listen to who he is, folks, it will change us as individuals, it will change us as a people, and it will change us as a nation. So where do we start? Well, I think we start by recovering what the true understanding of Jesus is. We look in the book, okay? God gave us this book so that we didn't know what God thinks and what God believes and what God said. And folks, the only reason we don't know is because we don't live in the book. We don't study the book. This book, and we don't worship the book, but the book contains the words of God. It contains life. And if we'll eat it and we'll feed on it, it will change our lives. So I'm going to be very straightforward this morning. And like I said, I may say some things in a minute that, that offend you. And if I do, my desire is not to offend you, okay? My desire is just to, to tell you the truth. The Bible teaches that we are monotheistic. That's a big word that means we worship one God. We're monotheistic. The Jews were monotheistic. They were one, the, the first people who were monotheistic. And when, when God called Abraham, the people of the world were, were, they were polytheistic. They worshipped God, every kind of God you can imagine. There was a God under every rock, behind every blade of grass, behind every bush. And so uh, you worshipped the gods of your area, and whenever you went to another area, you added them, and you worshipped their areas, and, and you were doing, I mean, their gods, and you were worshipping all kinds of gods. But God called Abraham to worship one God. And so we worship one God. We're monotheistic. That's a good word. Just remember this we worship one God. And that's the core belief of Christianity. And our core belief in the worship of one God goes all the way back to the beginning of Judaism. Every morning, every Jewish man and boy would get up. And these are the first words they would say. Shema HaYisrael Eleheinu Adonai Eleheinu Ehud Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is Lord. 
It was a declaration that they believed in one God. That all the other things that people worshipped were not gods. They believed in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. We believe in one God. One God who has revealed Himself in three persons. Now, if you talk to a Muslim, that Muslim will say you believe in, a, in three gods or a three-headed God. But we don't. We believe in one God. One God who has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we call the Trinity or a Trinitarian belief. That is what the church has believed from the very beginning. Now, if you want an illustration of how that works, I don't have one, okay? Because they all break down. It's a basic tenet of Christianity. God is God. But He chooses to reveal Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one in essence, one in nature. But each of those persons do something different. But He's one God. Now, have I totally confused you? Okay, good. Because that's as far as I'm going with the Trinity because that's as much as I understand. But the Bible teaches that from the first chapter of Genesis. God says, let us make man in our own image. Let us make humanity in our image. Elohim. It's a plural of majesty. That's, that's what the Hebrew word is. One God. Yet He's three and one. Now, let's just set that over here, okay? We don't worship a three-headed God as the Muslims charge. We worship one God who's revealed Himself and He revealed Himself to Moses as I am. I am Jehovah God. Jesus is Jehovah. Now, if the uh, Jehovah Witnesses come and knock on your door, they're going to argue that with you, okay? They're going to quote John 1 1. In a few minutes, I'm going to read what Scripture says, but in their translation, they, their translation of John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was a God. See? Jesus is not Jehovah. Jesus is a God. In other words, Jesus is less than Jehovah. He's a demi-God in a sense. He, he kind of, the variations, He's less than, but He's not God. And that's what they will tell you. Okay? They may not say it like I just told you, but that's what they mean. Alright? They're wrong. They have their own translation that supports their argument. And when you take their argument apart, they don't really have an argument. Okay? So they're preaching a Jesus who's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not a lesser God. Now, there's another group that says one day, as God is, we will be, and as God as we are, God once was. They believe that, that Jesus, though they won't say this, they believe Jesus is a lesser God and that one day we'll be just like Him. Guess who they are? Mormons. They're the Mormons. Now they talk the same. If you listen, it sounds really good. They have some great commercials. Okay? They do have that Jesus, though, that looks a lot like the pictures that I was talking about a while ago. 
But and I'm not I'm not making fun of them. I'm I'm calling your attention that the Jesus they're preaching is not the same Jesus of the book. The one that the Jehovah Witnesses will knock on your door and wear you out with is not the same Jesus of this book. And folks, we are at a place in our country where most people don't know the difference. I must go ahead and say this, okay? And, and if this offends you, I do not apologize because I'm neither Republican or Democrat. But we are about to go into an election that literally will change the direction of this nation one way or the other. I don't know if it's for good or bad. It will just change it, okay? We have a president who, based on his policies, based on his decisions, based on his actions, does not know the Jesus of the Bible. We have a candidate who's running against him who, based on his theology and on his religious affiliation, does not know the Jesus of the Bible. Okay? That's where we are as a nation. Now, I realize God can change that. And I pray for both of them daily. But that's where we're at in this nation. And we need to realize that. We need a biblical picture of who Jesus is. And the first place we start is, is that Jesus is God. Not less than God. Not a little like God. But He is God. So I'm going to walk you through some verses this morning. and You know these verses. These are not uh, new ones to you. But the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is eternal. That is, He has existed before time began. And if He existed before time began, then He is God. There's only one who has existed before creation, and that's God. He had no beginning, and He will have no end. He's always existed. I love the way the Apostle John wrote it down with the, the guidance of the, of the Holy Spirit. There's probably not any more succinct, yet beautifully written words in all the English language. Okay, The way it, it kind of comes out in the English language. It was written in the Greek. But it's to the point, and every word matters. And I'm just going to read. It's found in John chapter 1 verse 1 through 3, and I'm going to throw verse 14 in at the end because that's where we're going to go next week. John writes this. He says, In the beginning was the Word. That word, the Word there means the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word, the Son. That's, that's another way of saying it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Jehovah Witnesses will add an article there, A. The article is not in the Greek text. It's not in the earliest ones. It's not in the later ones. They just added it because their theologies does not fit with what Scripture teaches. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What John is saying is Jesus Christ is God. That's the first. His point in the Gospel of John is to show you that Jesus Christ was God. That's what he does all the way through the Gospel of John. It's, he sets out to prove Jesus is God. And then it says in, in verse 2 and 3, it says, All things came into being by Him. By who? By the Word. By the Son. By Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, 
Jesus is the one who created everything. You go to Colossians, it teaches the same thing. That everything is held together by Jesus Christ. He is the Creator. God spoke the Logos. And what happened? Bushes sprouted. Birds started flying. Fish started swimming. Buffalo started running the range. And guess what? Up popped a man and up popped a woman. God, God created through the power of Jesus Christ the world that we know. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Whose glory? God's glory. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Old Testament. People will argue, well, the Old Testament never talks about Jesus. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're all familiar with this passage because you hear it at Christmas time. In fact, the next two passages you hear all the time at Christmas time. But these passages teach more than a Christmas story. They teach the eternality of Jesus Christ. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And listen to his name. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Listen to the next one. Mighty God. Eternal Father. There, there's the eternality of Jesus Christ. He is the eternal God. He's the Prince of Peace. Micah, verse 5, chapter 2, I mean chapter 5, verse 2 says, this is another one that... Uh, that we hear a lot at Christmas. But it's for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. You see, God was preparing the way for Jesus to come in the flesh. But He was also declaring that this Jesus who would come in the flesh is eternal God. Eternality, folks, is an attribute of God. And Jesus possesses it. Jesus is God. The Bible teaches that He has been God from the beginning to the end. Now, I mentioned a while ago that, that Jesus was Jehovah. Uh, that is the... See if I can explain this quick yet simply. In Hebrew, I, the I am that I am is Yahweh. Y-H-W. It's a consonantal language. It doesn't have vowels. We, we vocalize it as Yahweh. The Jews don't use that word. They, they, it's so holy that they refuse to use So they use the word Lord or Adonai. But it's, it's God's covenant name with His people. Now, when that Hebrew word is translated into German, guess what it becomes? Jehovah. Guess what? Jehovah is not in the Hebrew text nor in the Greek text. So the Jehovah Witnesses have no place to argue but from German translation. Okay? You see what I'm saying? That's when you're, you're on your soapbox here. No, I'm not. It's, it's, we need to know these things. But the word, when, when God introduced Himself or when Moses said, well, who do I tell Him has sent me? Who, who am I supposed to tell two and a half million people uh, sent me? 
And he says, you tell them that I am that I am sent you. I am the eternal self-existent one. And this is my covenant name that I am making with my people. They will know me as Yahweh, Jehovah. And Jesus, Jesus took that name for Himself. He was constantly in His ministry dogged and chased by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, were the religious conservatives of their day. I mean, they were dot every I, cross every T, guys. If, if you didn't do it like they did it, you were doing it wrong. And so they were constantly following Him and arguing with Him. And one, of the, one day they got into an argument and He began to talk about God and God's children. And the, 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 the Pharisees began to claim that they were children of Abraham. Not we're God. We're not just children of Abraham. We, the Pharisees, are the children of Abraham. We're the real followers of Abraham. And Jesus makes an interesting statement in John chapter eight, verse fifty-eight. Jesus said this. Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." Now we read that. Okay, let's just let's just say that's the first time we read that is. As, as Americans. Well, what's he saying? Before Abraham was, I am. Well, he's not just saying that he existed before Abraham. Okay? That's what it seems like as you first read it. He's saying that I existed in eternity past or before Abraham was ever thought of, created, or stepped on earth. What he's saying is, I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am God. He said, well, Nelson, that's, that seems a little far-fetched. Well, if you read the next verse, it says they took up stones to stone Him. Why were they going to stone Him? Because He was making Himself to be God. He was claiming equality with God. He was saying, I'm God. And in the Jewish belief system, that was blasphemy. And it was punishable by, for, by death, by stoning. So they were taking up rocks to stone Him. See, Jesus was claiming, I am God. And Jesus is not just claiming it in this point. If you go and you read through Scripture, in John chapter 10.30, Jesus declared it again. He said, I and the Father are one. We are one nature and one, one essence. We are the same. They understood what He was saying. They wanted to stone Him again. We're familiar with some other I am statements that uh, we read. And very often we major on the, I guess, the direct object of the sentence, what Jesus is saying, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. But I want, to, I want you to look at this in a little bit different light this morning. Jesus uses this I am appellation. Uh, he uses it several times. He, he takes Jehovah's name for Himself. And, and we miss it because our translations kind of smooth out the Greek. But I want to show you how Jesus referred to Himself over and over and over and over as God. I'm going to give you seven of them. You may want to write these down and, and come back to them. They're not going to be on the screen. In John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, verse 12, He says, I'm the light of the world. In John 10, verse 7, He says, I am the door. In John 10, 
uh, verse 11. He said, I'm the good shepherd. In John 11, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then in John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine. And as you read these seven examples, we kind of grasp the metaphor that Jesus is using to describe Himself with, but we miss how specific, how exact, how precise He was being when He declares this. Now, I'm going to give you a Greek lesson, and I know for most of you, your mind's going to click off because you really don't care. All right, But if you really care about changing this rule, you listen to me, okay? In, in, the, in the Greek, Jesus starts those sentences, I am the true shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and life. He goes, ego, I me. Now, most of you, unless you've been to seminary and sat through a Greek class, you have no clue what that means. But ego means I am. I me means I am. He's using a double verb to say, I am that I am. He's saying, I'm Jehovah. I'm Yahweh. I am Yahweh, the good shepherd. I am Yahweh, the bread of life. I am Yahweh, the door. I am Yahweh, the light of the world. I'm Yahweh, the resurrection and the life. I'm Yahweh, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm Yahweh, the true vine. Jesus is not wasting words here. Jesus is making a point here. I am that I am. I even I am is another way to put it. He's saying, I'm God, the good shepherd. I'm God this. I am God this. I am God this. And folks, he's declaring that he's unequivocally God. Now, two more passages I want to share with you this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something that maybe you've not done in church in a long time. And I may be asking this, and it may be dangerous for some of you. But I want you to close your eyes for a little while. Now that means you can't go to sleep, okay? I'm not going to know the difference, but I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to listen to the way that John describes Jesus as God. And he does it with some stunning language. It's found in, in, in the book of the Revelation. One's near the beginning, one's near the end. I want you to use your imagination, okay? I'm, I'm going to supply the, the, the information for your imagination. I don't want you to just let your imagination go wild. I don't want you to empty your mind. I just want you to take the description that I give you and see if you can see Jesus. The picture that John paints of Jesus. John says this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven lampstands. In other words, I saw seven menorahs there. And in the middle of the menorahs, in the middle of the lampstands, stood one like a son of man. And he was clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet. And girded across his breast was a, was a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze, which had been caused to glow in, the, in a furnace. In other words, his feet were glowing red hot. Maybe white fire. 
And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining at his strength. Can you see that picture? Just, Just ponder that picture for a minute. Because John is painting a picture of God. He's painting a picture of Jesus Christ in heaven. And it's the picture that Jesus bears right now at this very moment. Let that picture kind of impact your mind a little bit as you envision God. Because what you're seeing is the real Jesus. Not the Jesus that culture pictures. Not the, not the Jesus that, 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 that white Anglo-Saxon Protestants painted. Or Africans painted. Or Russians painted. Or Italians painted. You're seeing the picture that the Holy Spirit is painting. And it makes a big difference. Now, hold that picture, okay? Because there's another picture that the Holy Spirit paints that I believe we will see very quickly, very soon, should the Lord come. I want you to take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. I hear a few of you. Some of you I'm not sure are still alive. Okay. Now I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to paint another picture. Okay. This one's found in Revelation 19. John writes, And I saw heaven opened, And behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. There's a common thing that doesn't change in either description, either at the beginning of Revelation or at the end of Revelation. His eyes are like a flaming fire. And upon his head are many diadems or many crowns. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God, the Logos. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. There's the sword again. So that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress, the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Do you see that picture? Do you see? Folks, that's not the Jesus most people are preaching. But that's the Jesus of Scripture. That's the King of Kings. That's the Lord of Lords. That's God who is soon returning to gather those who are His. I want you to look up here for just a minute and I'm going to close. If we could keep those pictures in our mind moment by moment, day by day, it would change the way we live. Amen? Well, you say, Nelson, those are frightening pictures. Why are they frightening? 
Folks, that's the God we worship in all His glory. He's loving. He's merciful. He is filled with grace. But you know what? He is also righteous and holy. And He has an anger and a wrath that one day He will pour out on sin. But listen to me. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, He's already poured that anger out for you. He poured it out on Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Him this morning, that anger has already been poured out and He's offering you the gift of eternal life. He's offering you freedom from all those things that you've done because of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the Jesus of Scripture. That's the one who loves us with a love that is never-ending. The Bible calls it loving kindness. The New, kind, uh, the New, New Testament calls it uh, grace. That's the Jesus that we serve. Folks, that's the Jesus that can change your life. That's the Jesus that can change this nation. That's not the Jesus that most people preach. But folks, that is the Jesus who is worthy of our praise and our adoration. That's the Jesus who's worthy of following. The wishy-washy Jesus, when you get in a tight place and you're in pain, He's not going to help you. The weak Jesus, when you need power that's beyond what anybody can give you, He's not going to have it. But folks, the biblical Jesus can meet your need right where you are in whatever situation you find yourself. And folks, it's time we got back to the biblical Jesus. I am praying that the biblical Jesus would show up here with His manifest glory. And when He does, folks, we're going to get on our face. And we're going to stay there for a while. And when we get up, we're going to be different. We'll be totally changed in a moment. Folks, that's what what an encounter with Jesus does. It doesn't make you better. It destroys the old you and recreates you into something new in His image and in His likeness. Folks, it's time that we return to the real Jesus of Scripture and we jettison the Jesus that our culture wants us to embrace. The culture... The Jesus our culture wants us to embrace cannot solve our problems. He's just a good nerve pill for a little while. Or sip out of a bottle for a little while. He'll numb your pain, but He won't solve your pain. Folks, we need the Jesus who solves problems, not numbs them. Folks, if we live our lives daily like we really believe in the Jesus who is God that we find in this book, the God who's eternal, who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, folks, it will change our lives. It will destroy our bondages. It will get rid of that sin that I just can't seem to get rid of on my own. Folks, this is the God that I'm talking about here who changes people. This is the God who heals the sick. This is the God who breaks bondage. Folks, this is the real Jesus. And it's time the church came back to Him.
Let's pray. Father, we don't need the diet version. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.